Welcome to Lendit Lopate at Large. I'm Lendit Lopate. The weather continues to be a major news story throughout the country, so you might wonder what effect it's had on the plants of those of us in this area who like to grow things. Well, joining us now is one of our favorite regular guests on the show, Pete Morosky, a nurseryman and environmentalist and the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center on Route 22 in Pauling, New York. And we invite you to call us now with your gardening questions. Our on-air number is 212-209-2877. Hello, Pete. Welcome back to our show. Well, thank you, Leonard. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Most of the news we've been getting about the weather this fall has been on the negative side, but you point out that it's produced some of the best leaf color in years. Why is that? Well... You know, if you remember, it was a very dry summer, and and many of the experts were saying that it was going to be a very muted color uh, because the trees didn't have enough moisture to really go through their whole change in the photosynthesis process. But Mother Nature pulled another curveball on us, and she made uh, the weather this fall uh, very warm and sunny during the day and extremely cold at night back in early early to mid-October. And that produced some of the most vivid fall color that we've seen here in many, many years. And, uh, you know, there went the theories of a muted color out the window. And let me tell you something. I, I, I like to venture up to northern Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, where some of the most spectacular color in the world uh, exists uh, during the fall. And this year in the New York metropolitan area, we had that same color. It was just absolutely spectacular. Yeah, walking through the parks of New York City, uh, to- some of the trees are just gorgeous. Uh, by the way, a reminder, the number 212-209-2877, if you'd like to speak with Pete. Is it possible to predict what kind of weather we'll have this winter? Uh, what signs well, or signals is nature showing us that might reveal the answer? Well, you know, Leonard, uh, you know, long-range forecasts always try to stick their neck out and try to give us uh, what they think this winter might bring. In fact, uh, you know, the Farmer's Almanac uh, that usually runs with trends and cycles uh, has their pick. But I enjoy going out in the woods and looking at different bugs, animals. You know, what is Mother Nature telling us about what's coming up this winter? And some of the areas you can look at uh, are, uh, if you're familiar with the, the woolly bear caterpillars. Now, the woolly bear caterpillars come out in September, uh, early October, and they have an interesting black brown striping on their body and uh it, according to old folklore if the black stripe or if the caterpillar is more black than brown it tells us that it's going to be a, a tougher winter um on the woolly bears this year it was mostly a 50 50 range so it was half black half brown uh nuts and acorns are another good indicator out in the woods you know uh, what are the trees sensing uh coming this winter and if they're sensing it's going to be a harsh winter, they generally produce an overabundance of nuts, uh, the acorns of the, um, of the oak trees, the beeches, the hickories. And this year, they were just about normal. There, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't, you know, some areas were thin. So it was kind of an average year for nut production, too. Animal fur coats tell us a big story. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the foxes, a lot of the squirrels, uh, the, the coyotes, you know, what type of tail uh, are, are they producing this fall? Because that's their blanket in the wintertime. And if it's big and fluffy and 
it's, 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 they're going to need to dent up early and, 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 and wrap around their tail. But their tails seem to be kind of average this year. So, you know, what is that telling me? Tell me, excuse me, it's going to be an average year. You know, I don't think we're going to get, we're going to get some snow. We're going to get some rain, uh, you know, and, and the temperatures are going to be a little bit normal. But another thing that tells us too, Leonard, is uh, the situation in regards to hibernating bear. You know, up here in the Hudson Valley, we, we have a lot of bear now uh, that migrated in from, uh, uh, you know, from the north. And Excuse um, me, your garden center is along the Appalachian Trail. Are you seeing bears there? Isn't, wouldn't that make it a little scary to walk the Appalachian Trail? Well, the hikers are seeing bear, and they're telling me that they're seeing bear. But, you know, one of the interesting things they're telling me is that the bear up here in the north, northeast are not that aggressive. For instance... The bear in the Smoky Mountains, they they say uh, the hikers say we'll come right into your, um, you know, right into your camp area, and we'll get pretty aggressive and, and, and until they get some food for, from you. But up here, they'll run from you. They won't. They won't. You know, get very aggressive. They're still a little skittish up here. But that doesn't happen in the south. And uh, you know, a lot a lot of things that happen up here, especially in the in a winter where we don't get a lot of snow. You know, everybody thinks that bear hibernate every winter but in mild winters they don't mm. and the reason why bear hibernate you know up north in in massachusetts uh vermont new hampshire and maine is because they get a lot of snow up there and the, and the food source gets cut off so they go into caves and dens and hibernate but down here in the hudson valley through pennsylvania and new jersey um they don't tend to hibernate every winter because the food store source is still there mm. so you know if you're taking a hike in the winter uh, you know, make sure that uh, you're wary that the bear are still out and about. You have your whistle about you, and uh, you know you can um, you can flee an area if if a bear gets aggressive with you when you're out in the woods. Well, there's been a lot of talk about global warming in the last few years, but uh, we've had our share of cold weather and snow. So, um, how do we even know about the impact of climate change? Well, Leonard, you know, when when you see what's been happening recently, and I'm going to say recently in the last 10 years, we're going through a period of extremes. And I'll give you an example. If you remember the summer before last, uh, we were so wet. We, we had 25, 26, 27 inches of rain. And we thought, here we go. Uh, you know, we're turning into a, a much wetter climate. And it's going to and, 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 and that's going to impact, uh, you know, our environment and our soils and our weather. As you know, this summer was extremely dry. Mm. It was it was in the top 10 warmest, driest, and windiest summers on record. So, you know, the flip-flop of, 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 of the up and downs of the seasons tells us that, yes, uh, the climate is changing, but what direction is it going to go? You know, we all know at the moment that it's heading into a warmer scenario, uh, but, you know, there's a lot of things happening, a lot, a lot of variables happening in the world right now. I mean, there's been an uptick in volcanic activity around the planet, which tells us that particulate matter is being spread out into the atmosphere, which tends to cool the climate down. So, you know, your guess is as good as theirs. If you'd like to speak to Pete Morosky, again, the, the, our on-air number is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. This is the time of year that people begin putting Christmas trees inside of their houses and, and apartments. What's the best kind of tree to use, the, the cut trees, or must they be in 
in soil? Well, you know, it's another great question, Leonard, and uh, it's something that we've given a lot of thought to here at Native Landscapes. So we've changed our approach on Christmas trees and the holidays. You know, Leonard, I've been in the Christmas tree business for 35 years, and over the 35 years, I learned that, uh, you know, what are the best needle retainers and cut trees? And they're the fir trees, the balsams, the frasers, the town colors. Uh, you know, what are the best trees to bring inside? If you want to bring the tree inside, decorate it, and then put it outside in your yard. And, uh, you know, and I'm talking to you from a native plant standpoint. We can add to that list white spruce um, and, and Canaan Valley firs. So this year at Native Landscapes, we're not selling cut trees. Hmm. Um, they were tough to find. And, and, and they've gotten expensive. And it appears a lot of the cut trees are going to the big box stores. So we changed our look a little bit and, 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 and our approach on the holidays. And we're now just selling uh, bald trees and uh, trees in containers. Now, when you bring a tree in the house for the holidays and you want to plant it outside in your yard, once the holidays are over, you know, there's a couple, uh, there's a couple things you need to do in order for that tree to survive. It'll only survive in your home three to five days. Because if you think about it, it's a lot warmer and, and, and almost like springtime inside your house around the holidays, where outside this time of year is very cold. So you don't want to fool the tree into thinking it's springtime. What you want to do is you want to bring it in, uh, only set it there for three to five days, maybe put it in a room where it's a little bit shady, where it's a little bit cooler, um, and then bring it right outside and plant it in the ground. That's if, so that's, can, the, that's if you have an outside area. And and there was a news report recently on television uh, about concern about fire hazards with Christmas trees. That's exactly right, Leonard. So when you're going to pick your Christmas tree out of the Christmas tree lot, there's certain things you look for in the tree so that it, it doesn't become uh, a fire hazard. And that is, you know, how fresh is the tree? This, you know, when you grab the needles and lightly bring them across your fingers, are you losing half the needles in your hand or are the needles staying on the branch? Okay. So you want to make sure, number one, that the, tr the tree is fresh. So in order to make sure the tree is fresh, what do a lot of people do? They go to Christmas tree farms and they cut their own and get it in water as soon as they can. You know, there's this whole thing, too, about if you if you go into a tree stand in the middle of Manhattan, uh, you want to try to get there earlier in the season than later. Because the longer that tree stays out of water, the drier it'll get. If I were doing a live tree in my apartment in New York, I'd have it in there by now and I'd have it in water because that's what's going to keep it freshest. We uh, again, we invite your calls. Um uh, I'm sure there are all sorts of interesting things uh, out there that uh, you have to contend with, whether you are somebody who gardens in your apartment or has a house or, or whether you have a lawn. <laughs> There's a wide range of topics that we, we address normally when Pete is with us. Um, is it too late for our listeners who have lawns to do anything to help them recover from the extreme drought conditions of this past summer? Well, it's not, and a lot of that depends on where you're located. You know, I mean, if it were me and I had a lawn that really burnt out or got chinch bugs or really suffered from this season's drought, 
I would have by now, or I would start doing now, a, uh, a lawn renovation because fall is the best time to renovate your lawn. So what you want to do is you want to rake out these dead areas in your lawn, uh, little grub dead areas, and uh, top dress them uh, with with a good composted soil, and then seed the areas. I mean, if you got a very sunny lawn, you want to seed them with uh, like a rye fescue bluegrass blend. Um, and then you know, there's a couple of cultural tips that we that I would recommend that that I would practice as far as keeping your lawn um, uh, healthy and, and green, and that is raise the height of cut of the lawn next spring. Cut three inches or higher, and that'll keep the lawn from drying out so quick. Also, when it comes to lawns, if you don't really use your lawn for uh, sports or if the kids don't use it for soccer or, or football or baseball, you know, I recommend to a lot of my customers to turn the lawn into a low perennial garden. You know, in other words, you could bring seed in that's not only grass seed, but, you know, seed that has clover or violets in it or any of these wonderful uh, low-growing flowering perennials that will grow three to four inches high and still create a flower. Um, also, if you've got a very shady lawn and, 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 ha- and the lawn has a tough time establishing, you know, try a moss lawn. We do a lot of moss lawns, mm-hmm. you know. Um, what you do is, you know, a lot of these lawns have already established in moss. So what you want to do is you want to cut it down a little really low. And this time of year, you make a slurry. You grab some moss out of the woods and you crunch it up and you, and you, and you, and you add, uh, you know, some uh, yogurt or, or, you know, something that's going to that, that's, that's get it uh, moving. And then pour this on your lawn. And let me tell you something, moss lawns are very, very beautiful. Also, when it comes to lawns, um, there's no need to fertilize the lawns as much as we, we, we do. And there's no need to fertilize the lawns right now because the lawns have gone dormant. Okay, but the important thing, if you're really into lawns, and we know a lot of us out there are, is pH. In other words, acidic soils, uh, grass blades or grasses don't like acidic soil. They like a little bit of an alkaline soil. And if you're going to do anything to the lawn this winter or early spring, lime it with calcium because it'll respond to that very quickly. And rather than using a fertilizer on the lawn, use a compost uh, you know, for, you know, a nice fine compost and top dress and spread that on the lawn, and that'll be your fertilizer. Every time it rains, a little bit of the nutrient value from that compost will get into the soil, and you'll create a living soil, and that'll make a healthier grass blade. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. And my guest is Pete Moraski, a nurseryman and environmentalist and the owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center on Route 22 in Pauling, New York. And we are taking your calls at 212-209-2877. Let's take a call. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, Leonard. I have three important questions. Uh, first, three important questions. Great. Yeah, I'll make them. I'll make them fast. Um, it's okay. Pete, isn't it true that the, uh, like for instance, in New Jersey, the big controversy that the land has only a certain amount of carrying and food capacity for the bears, and thus, uh, vis-a-vis the, the bear hunt that uh, they want they want to have, which is a reasonable thing. And the second is, I saw Nova production of great forests is dying. I don't know whether it was Europe or uh, the northeast here or the west of our country, where I don't know whether it was a beetle or something, but great amounts of forests are dying and dying, putting us in real trouble. 
And the third is, um, what little succulents or um, things can I put in the windshield window? Because my apartment doesn't get a lot of sunlight coming in the windows, but there's a lot of brightness. Right. Okay, well, we'll start with the bear question first. And it's interesting that you bring up New Jersey first because, oh, and you know, they just, yeah. they just, uh, you know, I, I, it must have been about 10 years ago. They put in a, a bear uh, hunting season, and I think it's only a three or four day season because the bear population uh, got so so exploded. So, um, you know, there's more than just hunting. I think that's going on from a from a bear explosion standpoint. I think you know a lot of these problem bears, where they would just go in and shoot them, uh, you know, uh, 20 years ago, are now being tranquilized and uh, brought to the Catskills and the Adirondacks and someplace where they can live in the wilderness without bothering too many people, which I think is a, a more humane and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a better approach to yeah. the bear population. Great. So that's, that's the first thing uh, that's going on. Um, what was your second question again? Uh, the great, great amounts of uh, forests. I don't know whether the Nova show was in, in Europe or whether it had to do with the northeast, the, the central south, or the west, but great, huge uh, sloths of um, forest are dying off and trees are dying? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that, you know, and I'll just go into a few that I know about. You know, here on the east coast, we're losing millions of ash trees uh, to, to the ash beetle. Um, you know, that's just killing trees everywhere. Isn't that because ash trees were imported from uh, elsewhere and they are not indigenous, which makes them uh, more vulnerable? The ash trees, um, the bugs were brought in from China in, mm. in, in, in crates, in, in, in packing crates. And that's where a lot, you know, a lot of times what you'll find is a lot of these uh, insects or invasives come from other continents. And when they get here in North America, a lot of our trees, a lot of our plants, they have no natural defense against these these uh, insects because they've never, these insects were never there before. So, you know, uh, hemlock woolly adelgid, uh, the Dutch elm disease, uh, the ash borer, you know, I mean, and then there's also a lot of stuff going on out west with uh, pines, ponderosa pines are getting, uh, are getting decimated, you know. Mm -hmm. Also, up uh, in the Arctic region, I'm reading stories about how the permafrost and the Tiuga is now coming out of the ground. And because of that big fart, because it used to be just a, you know, there was a permafrost in the ground that held a lot of these trees up. And now that that permafrost is melting, these forests are just falling over because they have no support anymore. So there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things going out there in the natural world that, that's creating some problems and issues when it comes to trees and plants around the planet. Thank yeah, you so yeah. much for your call. Well, you want us to add something? About, Go ahead. Yeah, just, just the, uh, well, first of all, how, how can we motivate the government to do something about these trees? And then the, 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 the little one was about the apartment. I, I want to grow some sort of flower in my window, but I don't get mm. a lot of, direct sunlight through the window. I just get a lot of brightness. Right. Well, you know what you, you know what I would do? I would go down to the local greenhouse and garden center and see what they have available uh, in their greenhouse and, you know, explain to them what your exposure is. And they'll direct you to plants that uh, will thrive in that particular environment. And, you know, you, you, you're, you're kind of mentioning plants that are low maintenance, like uh, sedums, cactus, 
you know, these are all perfect plants for an indoor house environment because, as many of us know, our indoor environment gets very dry in the wintertime. And, um, you know, a lot of these desert or uh, succulent-type plants do much better than uh, tropical plants uh, many times in our house unless we've got more time to take care of those tropical plants. Uh, thank you. I enjoy you. Thank you for thank calling. You Let's go to another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Good afternoon, gentlemen. My name is Rose. Hi, I want Rose. to uh, comment that we homo sapiens certainly know how to muck up a beautiful planet, don't we? <laughs> um, well, your name is appropriate to this, uh, this conversation. <laughs> yeah, um, America's thorn. Uh, when I was a little girl, we used to bring Christmas trees into an unheated uh, kind of was a screen, and it was, you know, glass cool room uh, as you entered into the property. It just seems to me that we have become so obsessed with it must look like a golf course. We got thousands of gallons of water being sucked up so people can play football on, on turf and if children play on astroturf they're getting cancers. We really don't seem to understand that Mother Nature has much more intelligence than and than Homo sapiens. Uh, my gripe is that everybody chops down trees. I have a brother who's got some acreage, and he saved his Christmas trees. He would get the bald ones and put them outside. What is wrong with decorating something outside with things for birds to eat all winter? And then also, too, by having the perennial gardens out there and and a vegetable garden, we don't need to have it look like it's a country club. And all this effort of the mowing and the trimming and the fixing and the doing we're going to have a quieter environment. We just let things go. If it gets a little damp, yeah, we can put a little a hose out there. We don't need all these sprinklers. and it, it, None of it makes any sense. It's just so contradictory to common sense to constantly have to micromanage everything to look like it's carpet. Pete? Well, now you're sounding like me talking to my customers when I'm visiting a customer <laughs> out there in the field. And you're absolutely right, you know. we got to come. we got to come up with a plan that requires less water, less pesticides, you know, less maintenance. Uh, and, and that's a lot of what we do here at Native Landscapes. I mean, we put in wildflower meadows. You know, we, we study a property and we bring in plants that are adapted to that particular climate or location. You know, landscaping can be a very expensive proposition, especially if you do it wrong. You really need to learn and follow the science behind what's going on in your yard. And you know what? Just about every yard has a different microclimate. So it's important to get someone in if you want something very appealing visually uh, as well as ecologically to get someone in that's going to put together a plan that's going to be native, that's going to be environmentally friendly, and that it's something that you can really enjoy for the rest of your life. Okay. You do not have to work on incessantly. Well, some people love to work on it. Some I know gardeners that are changing their garden all the time, and it's, 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 it's what they do. But, you know, for a lot of people, you know, just get it in and watch it mature and watch it grow, and, and, and each year it looks better and better. Thank you we so much for you. Always, Go ahead, Bryce. We, we don't always need to, inter, you know, to, to, to micromanage it. I mean, the mowing around here is enough to make you crazy. Uh, they're always it, mowing something, and if you just had the right stuff, uh, you could enjoy a lot of things which could be left in place, which would feed the birds all winter long. And, you know, it's the same thing with Christmas trees. Get a whole one, leave it in the ground, decorate it with 
you know, whatever you want to put on it to, to attract the birds, we, we can not have to listen to the roar of gas-spewing mower people. And, I mean, yeah, you got to get the leaves up once in a while, but that's what rakes are for. All right, guys, thanks a million. Thank you, Rose. Let's take another call. Our number here is 212-209-2877. Pete, that was, she was a kindred spirit. I'll tell you what, you know, tell her to apply for a job up here at Native. We need more people like her. BAI, you're on the air. Hey, good afternoon. How are you? Fine. Go ahead. Um, My name is Rick. I live in White Plains. So it's funny, when I heard the term landscape, I have to tell you, my neighbors all have the BLM signs and and they employ teams of nut jobs with two-stroke blowers to come in. You can't think. And if you ask them to not do it, they'll point to the fine print and say, well, it's after 2 o'clock. And I'm looking at these people. I'm 59 years old. I split my own wood. These guys, they ride bicycles wearing cute little, uh, cute little body suits, and then they all have these Iron Man stickers. They can't, they can't rake their own lawns. It's actually a kind of cognitive dissonance, and I would love to hear your guest comment on that. Um, the other thing is, if you know, the fact that people are using basically motorcycle engines without mufflers to blow garbage off of quarter-acre lots, and there's just there's no logic. You can't deal with them. They say things like, well, the landscaper decided to come on Saturday. I don't want to sound like Rose and, and hang on it, but anybody who lives around here will tell you, you can't think. And then they try to turn it around on you and make it seem like you're the villain if you tell them to shut up. Whereas if I put a PA, if I put a PA system in my front yard and played Iggy and the Stooges and the Ramones at the decibels I like, the cops would be here in five minutes. So um, I just like your landscape guy to comment on what we can do to get rid of these leaf blowers. And the other thing is, if you look at a lot of the historical documentation from uh, the Eastern Front in World War II, you're going to see a lot of the telephone poles and trees turning sideways in the permafrost. And I just want to point out, um, I happen to be married to a climate scientist, and across the river at Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, they have core samples going back hundreds of thousands of years. And we had the, midi- we had the medieval warm period, we had the Roman Warm Period, which if you, if you read um, Powers and Thrones, which is a very popular history book right now, you'll find out that for at least 300 years, there was a Rome period. There was a warm period during the Roman Empire. Nobody was driving an SUV, and as far as I know, there were no Republicans. So I think that we really have to stop demonizing each other. If we can agree that pollution is bad, we can move ahead with cleaning up the environment. If we start saying things like, you people are doing this and you people are doing that, it's really quite divisive. It doesn't get anywhere because the progressives in my neighborhood are all hiring teams of people with leaf blowers. So I just would like your guests to comment on my, my two comments, and I'm really enjoying, I'm enjoying the show very much. Well, let's talk about the leaf blower situation because I'm personally not a fan of leaf blowers because think about what they do. They have a hurricane wind coming out of that tunnel on the leaf blower. And, you know, not, a, not only is it blowing the leaves off the lawn, but it's blowing every piece of organic that has settled on that lawn through the whole summer. And Pete, now, you, you call the leaves nature's mulch because they break down and act not only as a natural fertilizer, but bring life to the soil by adding microbes uh, that build soil structure. That's you know, and, and that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to leaves. Uh, 
you know, leaves when they, and, and I'll tell you what I do at my house and what we, what I've instructed my guys to do as far as cleanup is concerned. And that is we no longer use leaf blowers on lawns. Okay. If it piles up six to eight inches on the lawn, we'll take a rake and, and rake the bulk of it off the lawn and into the beds. Now we leave it in the beds because it, it slowly, it, it slowly breaks down and creates a living soil in the beds, and that what, that's what leaves do. Leaves create microbial uh, uh, action in the soil. It creates a living soil. Now, on my lawn, I just rake it off with, with, with a rake, and I leave a lot of the organic material in the soil, and then I take my mower that has a composting blade on it, and I crunch all this stuff, and I drop it straight down so it becomes you know, a uh, uh, fertilizer for the lawn. And if you do it this way, you don't have to do these four-step chemical programs. You don't have to fertilize your lawn. You have to fertilize your lawn now because you just wiped out all the organic, and, and now the, the lawn is going to suffer next spring because it has no nutrients to depend on until you bring out your synthetic fertilizers and fertilize the lawn again. It's 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 a horrible cycle. So well, it's all about education, you know, you know, and, and I got to point the finger at, at, at my colleagues and other landscape companies who, you know, just don't, you know, it, it's all about getting in and out as fast as we can and, and, and making it look good. You know, if a lot of our customers were educated in the fact that, hey, it's, it's good to have a little bit of a, I'm not going to call it a mess, but, you know, having our property a little bit unkept and have it look a little wild, almost like the woods. That's a better approach. It's healthier for us, less chemicals, less fertilizers, less water. It's just, it's a common sense approach to land management practices. Also, also you've told us in the past that many of our beneficial insects and moths overwinter in in leaf litter. And that's exactly right, Leonard, you know, and and, and now, you know, we're taking the next step in this conversation. And as we blow the leaves into the beds, keep those perennial stalks and keep those grass stalks up two and three feet tall. Why? Because the chickadees eat the seeds in the middle of the winter when they're starving to death. And we get that blizzard, they'll get underneath it and get under the snow and out of the wind to keep them alive. And a lot of the bugs get into the hollow stems of these grasses and, and of these perennials. It's just, you know, we're, we're, we're helping Mother Nature by keeping it a little bit wilder looking. And let me tell you something. Some of these grasses where you keep the, uh, the plumes up, and, and even, even, even a lot of perennials are attractive in the winter. You know, the biggest problem people make is cut this stuff right down to the bone. Mm. And now when we get 10 or 15 below zero, <laughs> there's no vegetation there but to protect the root zones. And now we're scratching our head in the spring wondering, why did all our grasses die? Because we cut the blanket right off of them. So, you know, this ecological approach to gardening is, is a make-sense approach in, in every aspect. You're listening to Leonard Lopit at Large at WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. My garden is all overgrown And the weeds are creeping up on my home Grass has grown over two foot high And the trees are blocking out the sky We're back with Pete Moraski, a nurseryman and environmentalist, owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center in on Route 22 in Pauling, New York. That's north 
of the city in Dutchess County and very close to the Appalachian Trail. And we are taking listener calls at 212-209-2877. We have a number of calls coming in. Uh, you're invited to join them. But if you're one of the callers, <coughs> be patient. We'll get to everybody. Okay, BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Yeah, I'd like to make a suggestion about that bald tree that you're going to plant outside, that's going to be planted outside. Um, when you say bald, by the way, you're saying B-A-L-L-E-D, not B-A-L-D. Oh, yeah, that's my New York act. Oh, I have a cold. And no, I no, I think we all would say that. It's just one of the weird things about the English language. <laughs> Sometimes oh, okay. you have to explain. Or a all tree right. with roots. <laughs> anyway, um, I would suggest that wherever you're going to plant that tree, to dig the hole as soon as possible before the soil freezes. That's absolutely right. There. That's correct. You don't you know, want to go out what, there and try to get through frozen soil. Well, you know, once again, you know, this is the direction that we're headed here at Native Landscapes. You know, we'll sell you a tree. Uh, we'll put the tree in your living room. We'll take the tree out of your living room, and we'll install it in the yard. Now, let's say you've kept that tree in your house for four to five days, and now it's time to bring it outside, and it's 10 below zero, and there's two feet of snow on the ground. Wait, you probably pee, 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 before you go on, yeah. does putting decorations on the tree, the, the lights and all of that, does that have an effect on the tree? No, not at all. You know, um, not really. Um, unless you have a set of old lights that electrocute the tree. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, what you want to do is, uh, like your caller said, uh, if, if, if you know once it's once you're done with it in the house and you got to bring it out after four or five days, um, and but the the frost is is six eight inches deep and there's too much snow on the ground and it's very cold. What we generally do then, uh, if if you've hired us for this whole cycle of a Christmas tree into your property and into your onto your land, we'll put it uh, in, until spring either in your garage or uh, you know we'll. We'll watch it for you and, and keep it alive for you here at Native Landscapes until the spring, uh, until the ground thaws out and it gets warm enough where we can plant it uh, in your yard. Now, I can tell you, in the last 20 years, there's only been a handful of um, uh, winters where we weren't able to plant the tree uh, in somebody's yard. But what we do is uh, we'll go to the house with the tree. Before we put it in the house, uh, the owner will tell us where he wants to treat. We'll dig the hole. We'll put that soil in the garage or in an area where it won't freeze, and then hmm. set the set the tree in the hole, and then bury it with the native soil that uh, came out of the hole. So you know, there's a way to do it, even if the weather does get fairly extreme. And water it in well. Water it in well, exactly. Okay. Thank you so much, caller. Let's go to another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Hello? Yes, it's you. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Happy and healthy holidays to you all. Okay. Thank you. As long uh, as you don't sing one of the songs, I'm getting tired already <laughs> of listening to all those Christmas songs. Pete, <laughs> a question for you. Uh, last season's apples and this season's uh, red particularly, I see some dark lines and some brown modeling inside. What is that a sign of freight talent? Well, let's talk about fruit trees a little bit because it was a tough year for uh, fruit-bearing trees and shrubs 
um, a lot. We had a, we had a very wet uh, spring, uh, which created an issue, and then we had a, and then it just jumped overnight into an extremely dry summer. So um, there was a there was a, a lack of uh, many apples. Cherries had a tough time this this summer. Peaches had a tough time. Uh, blueberries and strawberries had a, had a, had a bit of a, 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 a troubled uh, growing season, unless of course you were watering the heck out of everything because it was just so warm um, that you know uh, plants have whenever they become stressed they pull back. And what does that mean? Um, you know, if if they're getting into the summer and it started to get dry and they're not getting enough water, they'll drop their fruit and they'll sacrifice reproduction to keep themselves alive. So, um, and I think that's what happened with a lot of these, with a, with a lot of these plants. And the stripes you're talking about, you know, there was a lot of funguses out there. There was a lot of black spot. Uh, there, there was a lot of apple cedar rust. There was a lot of powdery mildew because um, not only what it was warm, but but the humidity was up there too, and it was windy. Plants were stressed because you know whenever it gets windy, they dry right out. So uh, in general. Fruiting plants had a little bit of a rough summer because the weather wasn't quite what they were looking for. This must have had an, an impact on on the people who grow uh, fruit trees as well. Or grow exactly, fruits. I spoke to a lot of farmers, and you know, they reiterated the same story. Corn, corn had a very tough time this summer because just as the corn was growing, it got dry, and you know, corn is a grass. And when it gets dry and doesn't have enough water, it'll tassel early, and 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 the uh, you know the ears will won't get as big as they should, uh, because you know once again it's a, it's a it's a it's a protection mode to keep them alive, um, and and a lot of energy goes into reproduction. A lot of energy from a plant goes into producing a seed, and when it's dry, hot, windy like it was this summer, uh, a lot of times plants will give up and they'll um, they'll go into dormancy much earlier than you usually do. And I saw a lot of trees and shrubs do that in areas where they were growing in rocky soil where the soil was extremely dry. Our number here is 212-209-2877 if you want to speak to Pete Murawski. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Hello. Yes, I'm, I'm calling um, for two, um, two questions. Um, I, I received a uh, sapling tree. It's a red maple, and I planted it about a year ago, and it was doing very well. And then I think an animal, maybe a deer mm-hmm. or something, um, tried to get to the leaves on the top and broke the entire tree, mm-hmm. like close to the base. Now, should I cut it off? the piece that's hanging over or just leave it? Do you think it'll come back in the spring? <laughs> or? Yeah, the tree will come back. You know, uh, cut it where it was broken. And you might want to protect the tree this winter uh, going into next season until it gets about six feet tall with, with some wire and some stakes, just so whatever was eating or uh, trampled the tree, uh, it, it doesn't happen again. You know, a lot of times in areas where you've got a lot of woodchucks, deer, um, you know, a lot of browsing animals, 
you know, a lot of these saplings uh, don't have a chance uh, because you know they'll they'll get you know even this time of year when the when the when the bucks are in rut, you know, it might have been a buck with antlers that did that rubbing against the tree. So what you need to right. do is you need to protect the tree, keep it watered, and uh, and, and and it'll it'll pop up from dormant buds from the ground in the springtime. Oh, I don't need to cover it, though, right? Uh, I wouldn't say cover it. Well, when you say cover it, I would I would put a fence around it, maybe like a foot or two feet around the trunk of the tree, just so that no more damage becomes of the tree. you got to understand that if we get a bad winter, and we get two or three feet of snow, them deer are going to be pawing down through the snow, finding your little red maple, and eating it right to the base you know, so oh, we really? want to prevent that. Oh. So we want to we oh. want to put a little fence around it to to, to deter the animals from uh, trying to eat the tree. Oh, okay. And you had another more. question. Yes, um, the lawn. I um, this year I decided not to, <laughs> as the fall was coming, not to cut it and take all the leaves up, and I just left the leaves on top of the lawn. I mean. My daughter was telling me that's better than carting everything away. So I don't know what that's going to mean for next year. No, it's going to be fine in the spring. If, it, if it's a lot of leaves, if it's a handful of leaves, that's fine. You know, maybe two, three inches of leaves. But if it's a foot of leaves, you, like, I, like, I, like I said earlier in the segment, you want to rake away the bulk of heavy leaf drop and then leave just a thin layer of leaves on your lawn and that that'll break down over the winter time and when you come in and mow it first thing in the spring all those leaves will get crunched up and um, become a soil for your grass oh and just leave it there right yeah but you gotta you gotta cut it up at some point you gotta you gotta crunch it up with with a mower or you know some something that's gonna uh, you know, make it into very small pieces that'll decompose and become, uh, you know, soil and, 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 you know, an additive to the lawn. Okay. I see. I see. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for calling us. My guest is Pete Morosky, a nurseryman and environmentalist, owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center on Route 22 in Pauling, New York. This is... WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. We're taking your calls at 212-209-2877. And let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, my name is Greg, calling from the, the hills of New Jersey in a place called Hewitt. It was actually named after a, a guy who was mayor of New York back in the 1870s. But... Uh, Pete, i got to say, thank you for uh, encouraging people to keep things somewhat natural. People may not realize, and I didn't realize this about 20 years ago, I don't know how it is up where you are. What, you're, you're in uh, Putnam County? Dutchess County. Okay, Dutchess. The whole northwestern tier of New Jersey, even up into parts in the Catskills in the 1880s through the 1900s, was all basically clear cut. They cut down all of the forests. It looked like the moon back then. It's like 125 years ago, to to provide trees for charcoal for the mines. You look at even areas in the Southern Catskills. It was all clear cut. It looks like West Virginia now with the horrible conditions there. So mm. anything to preserve stuff is good stuff. Now I'm calling guys because it was it was 
spoken about the Bears a little while ago. Right. I grew up, let's see, 60 years ago when we first moved out of Jersey City, 1962. And a couple of years later, we would stand on the, the you know, very incredibly rural area. You could actually drink from the streams in some places up, up here. And literally on the bus stop at 7 o'clock in the morning, we'd be ducking bullets flying all over our heads from the <laughs> idiots from the city, you know, sophisticated, you know, urbanites, hmm. shooting ducks. They were drunk. They'd be sh- I mean, this is a nightmare going back. Now, I moved back to this area two years ago after the whole COVID nightmare. And i got to say, I'm used to having bears for many, many years in the backyard. Mother bear, two baby cubs, they don't bother anybody unless you bother them. It seems to me that the bears are a big problem for birds because they often eat bird seed and uh, they eat some of the same things that the birds want to eat. Bird eggs. If a deer come up to a partridge. Yeah, you're right, Winter. Yep. But, but yeah, it's you know, there's a couple of things, a couple of interesting points you brought out, Greg, that I would like to comment on. And um, one of them is uh, uh, the firearm thing. You know, if you're at a bus stop or if you're in your yard and 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 sh- and, and and bullets or or uh, buckshot or or you know sh- are are flying through your yard, you can't have that. You know, there's rules and regulations in place that they have to they have to stay. X amount of feet from your property, and if that's happening, uh, you need to call the police or the DEC, or you know, to, to, to stop that from happening because that's a very dangerous situation. You need to stop the shooting around residential neighborhoods. I mean, in New York State, I can't speak for New Jersey, but in New York State, you got to be 100 to 500 feet away from a residence uh, before you can uh, discharge a firearm in a hunting situation. So there's a lot of strict rules and regulations. And when you call the police because there's the shells flying above, they take it pretty serious, and 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 they'll end that they'll end that sooner than later. But uh, yeah, you gotta um, you know you, you you gotta you gotta nip that one in the bud. Okay, thank you so much for your call. Thank you. And we're going to take another call. Bai, you're on the air. Hi. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Wallace. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, I just have a question. I have. Um, on my lawn, um, I have three wall- black walnut trees, and they, you know, drop those big golf ball size walnuts. And I was actually considering cutting one or two of them down, I, and I wanted to know, you know, what your opinion of that is. I, I don't know. You know, it's it's like ridiculous, but it does make the job of cleaning the lawn much more difficult. Well, what are the, but you get walnuts, wall- don't you? Isn't that nice? <laughs> oh, Roasting on an yeah. open fire this time of year is beautiful. Hmm. Pardon me? Nothing. I was just yeah. making a bad joke. Anyway, oh, okay. uh, what do the walnut trees look like? Are they? Do they have a nice shape? Are they rotting? No, they're are tall. they? Are, they're mostly. They're not rotting. They're tall. They're pretty tall, and the the foliage is mostly at the top. Um, and then, you know, there's, you know, I know my neighbor does not like the walnuts falling on his side, but they're not beautiful, you know. I mean, in terms of trees themselves, they're not gorgeous. I feel bad about the idea of even cutting the tree. But, well, what do you have growing uh, underneath like, the trees? Uh, just grass. Just grass, yeah. 
Well, walnuts are. We know. can't have that much flowers because the deer eat everything. I mean, I had day lilies and all kinds of stuff. Um, and, you know, within like a week, they were gone. Well, you know, from a walnut standpoint, that's your call, you know, but I would seriously consider once you take the walnuts down to replace them with a tree that maybe wildlife uh, will enjoy having in your yard, like a, a white oak tree or a sugar maple mm-hmm. or a shag bark uh-huh. hickory or a beech tree, something that they can, that will sustain the wildlife in your area. And because, you know, not only will they come in your yard and eat the acorns and, and, and the nuts that they produce, but for me, because I have all these trees in my yard, it's a quality of life thing, you know. I love the fact that animals come into my yard and they're eating the, uh, the white oak acorns and the, you know, beech trees. Deer just love beech nuts. And, you you know, you you bring all these nut trees in and all these trees that, that, that they eat uh, from a, from a uh, you know, from a native standpoint, and you'll be surprised, you know, they won't bother a lot of the other plants, you know. They'll, they'll stay right to the plants that, that will sustain them, and they'll leave the rest of your landscape alone. We're pretty much out of time. Pete, I wanted to sneak one more call in. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, BAI, you're on the air. Can you make it very quick? Yes. I'm more interested in a moss lawn. I have a very small bare patch of dirt. Above it is a very large red oak and also a very scraggly mulberry tree. How would I prepare the yard for a moss lawn this winter? Well, first of all, you've got to have a very shady yard. And what you do is you find the moss growing out in the woods, you know, on the ground, and then you bring it and you crunch it up into a powder. And then you add yogurt to that, and you mix it in with the yogurt and just pour it on the bare area. And guess what? That's all you got to do. And watch it happen. Okay. Okay, thank you. Pete, in just uh, the minute we have left, a lot of people are going to be trying to, uh, are concerned about uh, the, the price of oil this year. Um, what about uh, safety tips for uh, burning in wood stoves and fireplaces? Well, it's interesting that you would say that, Larry, because a lot of people are going back to burning in fireplaces and wood stoves. And, you know, there's a lot of liability there. And you've got to make sure that you've got to, You've got a very safe setup or you're going to burn your house down. You know, you want to check the system before starting it up. Look up the chimney. Has, is there a bee's nest up there? Is there a squirrel's nest? Has a bird built a nest up there? Because, you know, you don't want that backdraft to get smoke into the house. Um, you know, wood stoves and fireplaces, they burn very differently. And one of the big problems I've seen out there is people with these inserts, these wood stove inserts, putting it into a masonry fireplace. And because wood stoves burn, a lot cooler, uh, creosote will build up on the inside of the fireplace. So if you're putting a wood stove insert into your fireplace, you need to line uh, the masonry with something that won't let creosote build up. And you also want to use the right type of wood. You know, don't use the softwood. Don't use the pine. Don't use the cedars. Burn real good hardwoods like maple, cherry, uh, apple, oak, beech, I mean, especially the, especially the apple and the oak, you know how that makes the house smell so good that time of year and it creates a hotter fire. So just be careful and make sure that your setup is ready to go before you, before you light a fire. Uh, because like I said, there's a lot of liability there. Uh, but you can save yourself a lot of money in oil and electric by keeping that wood stove and fireplace going most of the winter. Pete, we're out of time, but uh, how can people contact you? 
when uh, <laughs> between the times that you're on our show? Uh, you can call us at 845-855-7050. Uh, you can email us at nlpawling at gmail.com. Or take a ride up here in the country and come visit us and, you know, walk on the Appalachian Trail and, 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 and enjoy some mountain wilderness uh, this holiday season. Thank you so much for being with us again. Uh, Pete Moruski is a nurseryman and environmentalist, owner of Native Landscapes and Garden Center on Route 22 in Pauling, New York. And that brings us to the end of today's show. If you'd like to hear more of our shows, you can access our nearly 700 past shows at WBAI.org. Also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address is leonardlopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to take a moment to ask you to support WBAI. This station owes three months' rent on our broadcast tower and four months' rent on our studio space. So we need all of our listeners to step up and make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now to keep this the kind of unique in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. That's give and the number 2 WBAI.org or 212-209-2950 because without your help there's no way that this historic station, the only one on the New York radio dial that's completely listener-sponsored, can stay on the air. And a great way to support WBAI throughout the year is to become a sustaining member for $10, $15, or whatever level you choose, what we call a BAI buddy. So why not make that call right now in the name of Leonard Lopez at large so we can keep bringing you the kind of programming that you won't hear anywhere else. Again, the number to call 212-209-2950. You can go online to give to WBAI.org. And to everyone who's already stepped up to support WBAI in the name of Leonard Lopez at large, we thank you very much. And I hope you can join us again tomorrow when Nino Strachey will be here to discuss her new book called Young Bloomsbury. We'll see you then. Thank you.